You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed in Markham, in Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan, in Stowville, in Woodbridge, in Unionville. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer with York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. COVID-19 has changed everything. We may have hit the peak in Ontario, but as the Premier said earlier this week, we're not out of the woods yet. Officials now are working on plans to slowly reopen the economy, but the impact has already been felt. On today's show, we hope to answer some of your questions about your rights and your money during these unusual times. Tina Cortez now with the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy. Francesco Sorbera is the MP for Vaughan Woodbridge and the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of National Revenue. Of course, he is almost a regular here at 105.9 The Region. Francesco, welcome back to the show. It's great to be on the show, and, and uh, I want to say a, a big hello to all your listeners. Please stay safe. Uh, please he- heed our public health officials, and we'll get through this and emerge stronger together. Let's begin our conversation then today about the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy. That portal is set to receive applications this Monday. What can you tell us? Uh, first of all, the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy uh, was a program that's now been put in place to help businesses across Canada that have been impacted by COVID-19. What a business will have to demonstrate is that their revenues during the first period were impacted by 15%. There's, there's some technical details there. But what it allows businesses to do is effectively cover their labor costs for a three-month period uh, due to COVID-19. It's a great program. I encourage all the businesses across York Region, now there's about 13,000 businesses here in, in the city of Vaughan, to go to the Canada Revenue site and to take a look at the details. It's, the application process is not difficult. The details are laid out very methodically, and it's a great program to maintain that, but we would call the employer-employee attachment. We want employees to be retained with, by their employers, so when we come out of this, uh, when, when we come out of COVID-19, our economy can rebound quicker. Do we know how much this subsidy will actually provide per employee? Yes, we do. It's, a, it's up to 75% of what's called the baseline remuneration, again, a technical detail, uh, or up to approximately $847 per week per employee. And the great thing about the program is you can have one employee or you can have 10,000 employees. There's no, there's no size limits with regards to uh, the program. You can be a sole proprietor, you can be a corporation, you can be a charity, you can be a nonprofit. We've made the program as wide as possible because we know that small businesses across Canada, we know they're the backbone of our communities. I know in the city of Vaughan, all these SMEs, these small, medium-sized enterprises, businesses, they employ thousands and thousands of people. We know they have ongoing costs, and we want to be able to assist them. And the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy is one of these programs that is, is there to assist Canadian businesses and workers during this very unique time. Now, another resource for Canadian businesses is the Canada Emergency ben- uh, Business Account. What can you tell us about that, and how is it different from this portal that's going to begin on Monday? Well, the Canada Emergency Businesses Account came into effect about a week ago or so, and it is a program There's seen a lot of uptake by businesses, and what it provides is a $40,000 loan, 0% loan, to businesses that meet a payroll requirement of 20000 at the low end and up to a million and a half dollars at the high, high end. And what it allows is for a business to borrow, meet their operating costs, and if you repay 75%, 
of the loan back uh, to the government by December 31st, uh, 2022, $10,000 or 25% of the loan is forgivable. Uh, so, it, so the loan was specifically created to pay what's called for non-defertable expenses, so your rent, insurance, property taxes, utilities, and even to meet payroll needs. Now, there are many businesses across York Region that are, you know, paying rent. What about support in that area for those employers? The Canada Emergency Commercial Rent Assistance Program that the Prime Minister announced, the details are still being worked out with uh, the provinces. Uh, we need to work with the provinces, and what we're trying to do is we want to make sure that those landlords that have stepped up and, and have become, you know, begun to defer rents to lower rents for their tenants, that they're assisted. I expect further details to come in the coming days. But again, you know, until the Canada Emergency Commercial Rent Assistance Program comes or arrives, the, the loan, the $40,000 loan, uh, I have to remind our businesses, 10000 of that is forgivable if the remainder is paid back within a year and a half period at 0%. So a very favorable loan that can be used to pay for current rent uh, payments that are due, you know, especially this very, very difficult period of time when so many businesses are shuttered. Now, beyond businesses, I know we've talked about this before, but there are also you know, those folks who are self-employed. The CERB, or Canada Emergency Response Benefit, has also been available to our listeners, to folks out there. Can you give us an update on that? Absolutely. Well, the, the first thing I'd like to highlight about the, the Canada Emergency Response Benefit is that uh, the number of uh, processed applications is uh, almost 8.4 million across Canada. It's a program that was brought in place really to, to, to make sure that no Canadian faces financial hardship during this very, very difficult period of time. It's, it's helping out millions of Canadians and obviously tens of thousands of, of Canadians here in the city of Vaughan and, and in York Region. You know, $2,000 a month paid monthly for individuals that are no longer working because of COVID-19 specifically. You can't just voluntarily leave your job or anything to that extent. And it's assisting folks. And for those self-employed people, who traditionally are not eligible for employment insurance, this was a program specifically put in place to assist those individuals. We know in Canada there are about 5 million people that don't qualify for traditional employment insurance due to, to various reasons, and we wanted to make sure those individuals didn't face hardship because of COVID-19. You know, we want to make sure they pay their rent and put food on their table and help their families out. Now, here in Ontario, we've heard from officials that we may have peaked. Now, that doesn't mean that it's over and that it's going to be open for business very soon, but is there a plan down the road to slowly reopen the economy? Best answer I can give, uh, and anyone can give to the reopening of the economy and getting back to normality is uh, the quicker we flatten the curve, uh, the quicker we we uh, we make sure we heed people, uh, the public health officials' advice, uh, the quicker we'll be able to to reopen. Uh, we know eventually what we'll we'll need is a is a vaccine uh, um, uh, for COVID-19. We we all know that, but the the best way to reopen the economy is to first make sure that we put in place all the measures to flatten the curve. That we know that testing, which is under the guise of the provincial government that ramps up, that we have continuous testing, uh, and that we understand that we need to flatten that curve as quickly as possible. And once that is done, you know, the proper authorities, uh, heeding our public health officials, will put in those, those plans. Uh, right now, I, you know, that is, is, is to be determined. Uh, you know, I have, I have two young kids at home, and, and we're not even sure when uh, the kids will go back to school. You know, we're still awaiting those details. But we do know this is all dependent on us. Uh, as a community, as a country, um, working together, social distancing, washing our hands, 
and making sure we flatten that curve and, and get those cases down to de minimis, de minimis levels. Now, you've mentioned you've got a couple of kids at home. There are many people in your own constituency here in Vaughan Woodbridge, across York Region, who've got a bit of cabin fever. What's your message to them? Uh, cabin fever. Well, you know, what I would say is that let's, let's enjoy this, this moment. Uh, obviously, we think about the people that have perished and, and those loved ones in our community. I know in the city of Vaughan, we've lost a number of people, and, and I, my, my heart and my prayers go to those families that have been impacted. At the same time, you know, we are at home with our children, with uh, our direct loved ones. And, you know, let's pick up the phone and call people that are, that are alone and, and make sure they're okay. And let's spend that quality time, whether it's making a puzzle with our kids or drawing or, or cooking or, you know, watching a, a video that we've always wanted to watch with our family. And then when the weather's ni- nice, you know, there's, there's nothing stopping anyone from going from a walk. Uh, with their loved one, but make sure we maintain our social distance when we see other individuals, and and and, and let's do that. You know, we we know we're going to come out of this. Uh, we know it's you know we're we're into several weeks now, and yes, it's 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 a, it's a trying time for everyone, and and, and no one can uh, can't uh, cannot state that. But we also understand we need to to flatten that curve. Uh, and, and let's do our part, and, and let's continue to do that. And you know, when summer arrives in in, in a few weeks, I, uh, a few weeks, let's hope we can we can go out and enjoy some of that, that that's nice summer weather we're expecting. If our listeners want more information about some of the financial assistance programs that we talked about today, where can they go? Uh, they can they can go to our website um, at uh, fsabera.liberal.ca. They can email our office at uh, francesco.sabera at parl.gc.ca. They can call us at uh, 905-264-6446. They can follow us on Instagram, uh, SaberaF, and Twitter, FSabera and on Facebook at uh, Francesco Sobera MP. Uh, we've, uh, our, our you know, goal here in our office and with, with my great team is to make sure we're letting individuals know and all, our, all citizens in, in Vaughan know about all the programs we put in place and making sure that, that no one's falling through the, the cracks and that everybody's getting the help they need and the information they need to ensure they collect, the, you know, get the benefits uh, that they deserve. I do want to put a, put a quick plug in. I do encourage, you know, tax filing deadline has been moved to June 1st. And I really, really want to encourage all the residents of, of, of the city of Vaughan and all Canadians, please, please, please file your taxes to ensure that you receive the benefits and credits you deserve. When you, you talk about that, it's from everything from the Canada Child Benefit to you know, old age security for and guaranteed income supplement for our seniors, that all depends on, on individuals filing their taxes. And we don't want anyone not filing their taxes by June 1st, which is still several weeks away. But we want to make sure that reminder is out there because we still we still have that responsibility as Canadians, and and, um, and we want to make sure that everyone gets their benefits and credits they deserve. Francesco Sorbera is the MP for Vaughan Woodbridge. Francesco, thank you for joining the show, and I have to say your willingness to always answer our call and our questions. We do appreciate it. You are very welcome, and I want to do another shout out to all your listeners. Uh, you know, all the blessings in the world to you and your family. Stay safe, and, and you know, as, as I said during the conversation, we will uh, emerge from this uh, this pandemic uh, stronger together. Although virtually, we're all all at home. It's bringing the world uh, much closer together, and in this uh, in this very unique time we live in, and uh, we will emerge stronger, and and we'll get back to our daily lives, and and uh, and and so forth, and you know, and and probably like everyone else, I can't wait for that to happen as well.
I'm Ann Romer. This is a special edition of The Feed with a focus on the impact of COVID-19 on our legal rights. Galit Solomon with what you need to know if you've lost your job. If you're an employer or an employee in York region and beyond, you've probably had some questions on your mind recently about how COVID-19 impacts your work and how you do your business. Well, joining me now to help sift through some of the legal information that's been coming our way is Ina Koldorf. She's the partner at Miller Thompson uh, Labor and Employment Group. Ina, welcome to the feed. Thank you for having me, Galit. Now, of course, I, I'm sure you know this because I'm assuming you've been very busy. There's so much that we could discuss when it comes to labor law, but we're going to focus on a few areas here. Let's begin with the options that employers have when it comes to their employees. If their business can't operate at this time, what are those options for employers? So employers at this time generally have three options that we, we recommend that they look at. First one is a, is a new leave of absence that was enacted just last month by the Ontario government. It's the Infectious Disease Emergency Leave. And that is a job protected leave, which means that employers have to actually preserve the job of the employee that is going on leave. Mm-hmm. It's an unpaid leave. It has no time limit. And it really was enacted to assist anyone who is affected by COVID-19. So it's really good for businesses who can't at the moment operate because of the emergency order and wondering what to do with their employees. There's another option that has been talked about quite a bit in the news the last couple of weeks, and that's the temporary layoff option. And this is actually a good option for businesses who may remain operational because of the essential services provisions or because they can continue to operate remotely but are affected by COVID-19 to the point that they have no work for their employees. And what this option, and that's found in the Employment Standards Act, that it allows businesses to do is to temporarily lay off employees for either up to 13 weeks in a 20-week period or up to 35 weeks in a 52-week period if the employer continues group benefits or pension contributions. And that way, employees can sit on these temporary layoffs until work returns. This gives employers a bit of flexibility because if the employer has a little bit of work coming in, they can bring employees back from the layoff and then put them back on layoff again, as long as they don't pass that 13 or 35 week mark. If the employer, by the way, doesn't recall the employee within the 13 or 35 weeks, then the employee is being terminated and the termination and severance obligations kick into place. So it's really important to keep track of how long that temporary layoff is. What employers should know, and that's what has been in the news the last couple of weeks, is that there have been some court decisions in the past where judges found that if the temporary layoff right isn't found in an employment contract, then the employee is actually constructively dismissed by law. But what employers need to know is that there are also decisions to the opposite, where judges have said, well, yes, employers do have this right, even if it's not found in an employment contract. So it is something that employers should consider, especially now, because I think that if this was to get anywhere in the court system, some judges at least would have a lot of sympathy for employers And they probably wouldn't enforce this rule very stringently. Well, let's turn now to employees for a moment. Specifically, you know, when it comes to assistance from the federal and provincial governments, we're hearing a lot uh, about that this week and in previous weeks as well. So what is available at this time to employees to help get them through this economic uh, shutdown? I think everybody has heard by now about the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, which Mm -hmm. is the STIR benefit, and you was talking about. Um, And this is a benefit that provides a a flat payment of $2,000 per month for up to four months. And this is for employees who have lost their their job or lost income because of COVID-19 or who only earn up to $1,000 per month. Uh, And that's something you can apply directly to, to the government for. The turnaround time I hear is about three days, so you get those benefits fairly quickly. 
The other option for employees who may actually have COVID-19 is the EI sickness benefit. And those benefits supplement your income up to 55% of your earnings and up to $573 per week, up to 15 weeks. And for that, you apply for those just like regular EI benefits. There's no waiting period. You can start getting those almost right away. Um, there's also a top-up of wages that the federal government has recently announced for essential workers. We don't really know a lot of details. It was just announced a couple of days ago. But those essential workers who earn less than $2,500 per month may have their income supplemented as well by both the federal and provincial governments. Uh, and we're just waiting for details on that. Okay. Um, so there are a few programs, and mm-hmm. I think that each employee should just go into the go to the list that is available on the federal government's website and see where they sit. Um, there should be something for everybody at this point. Now, now going back to employers um, for a moment again, what benefits can your employees receive if you put them on emergency leave in in a layoff position? So, but both for emergency leave and for the layoff, uh, employees can apply for the third benefit. Um, those will be available to anyone who's lost income, um, no matter whether they are on a layoff or a leave. Again, the, the uh, sickness benefits, you can apply for those as well if you are sick. In that case, you probably wouldn't be on either a layoff or an emergency leave. You'd just be on a sick leave. Mm. Um, so those are available. And the regular EI benefits are still available. Most employees prefer to apply for the CERB because it's faster um, and gives you the certainty of a, a flat uh, wage. But the regular EI benefits should still be open for application as well. Now, just this week, uh, Tim Hortons uh, introduced the use of face masks and gloves uh, by all their employees, as well as temperature checks, which was also implemented at TNT, um, the supermarket locations. So what measures can employers take to protect their employees from contracting COVID-19 in the first place? And, And really, are there measures that are mandatory if employers expect their employees to show up to work? The employers have a general obligation to protect the health and safety of employees at work. So that's kind of their general mandatory obligation. It looks different for every workplace. Um, implementing the uh, the policy that everybody has to have their temperature checked. I've seen a lot of employers do that lately, especially with these thermal imaging cameras. So it's very, it's non-invasive, right? There's no physical touching at all. It just measures the temperature. And this is useful to an extent. Uh, obviously, it doesn't uh, catch any cases that are asymptomatic, but mm-hmm. certainly if you're already showing symptoms is a good way to, to screen employees and make sure that they don't come to the workplace. There's nothing that is completely mandatory. There are a lot of um, very strong suggestions by health authorities, uh, including social distancing rules, which most employers can implement. In some, uh, in some factories, for example, that is impossible depending on what is being produced, but most employers can implement the six feet of social distancing, mm-hmm. uh, providing PPEs, like you've mentioned, sanitizers, hand washing stations. Those are all things that health authorities uh, recommend for everybody, including for employers who still have employees coming to work. Now, what happens if an employee contracts COVID-19? You know, does, does the employer have an obligation, for instance, to inform the government? Yeah, so the legal obligation itself is actually with the, um, with the doctors not with, with the medical mm-hmm. professionals who receive the positive test, receive the diagnosis. So there isn't this legal obligation to, to advise the authorities. We always recommend is that the employer contact the authorities anyway because you may be in a situation where this employee was at work while they were already carrying the virus and you want to get some assistance in trying to determine who this employee worked with, 
who they touched, you know, not, not so much touched physically, who they touched during their workday, to isolate those individuals and send them for, for, for self-isolation as well as for quarantine. And if the employer knows that the employee did contract the virus at work, then there is an obligation to actually let the workers' compensation authorities know uh, because that may be a workplace injury. But if it's something that the employer doesn't suspect happened at work, then there isn't this legal obligation. And especially in, in this day and age when we're all on heightened alert, really, Right. I mean, you you see somebody at a at a grocery store coughing and immediately nowadays, it, you know, goes through your mind that, you know, is this person infected? So so I can only imagine when you are working within an office setting or maybe a factory setting that is still considered to be an essential service. And you notice those sort of things, you probably delve into it a little bit more just out of common sense, more so than anything else. Uh, Ina Koldorf, partner at Miller Thompson Labor and Employment Group. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much, Delete. And just this week, we learned financial help is on the way for post-secondary students. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced a new emergency benefit for students whose education and job prospects are disrupted by COVID-19. Trudeau says a $1,200 monthly payment is coming for post-secondary students running through August to make up for lost work and cut hours. The benefit can increase to $1,700 for people with disabilities or people who care for others. Trudeau says the emergency benefit and other measures such as increased education grants and an expanded government-supported job program will cost a total of $9 billion. Next on the feed, we're talking about something that is rather uncomfortable, a subject that people are slowly becoming aware of through COVID-19, but may not be ready to discuss. We are going to do it right now. Les Kotzer is a Wills lawyer with Fish and Associates in Thornhill. Thank you so much. And Les, I want to say when there's a will, there's a way. Yes, there is. And thank you for having me on today, Anne. So let's talk about this. COVID-19, we have all kinds of concerns, our health, our, our money, but we also are thinking about life's end, and that's where a will comes in. Who should have a will at the best of times and even at the worst of times? Well, under the law, anybody over the age of 18 should consider making a will. Of course, young people who don't have a lot of money say, well, I'm not going to do it. Well, I, I'm not going to argue with them. If they don't have anything, it's not the end of the world. They'll, they'll eventually get to it. But those who have children, I don't know how you go to sleep at night without a will. Uh, if you want to set up a trust for your children, et cetera, to the age of 25 or 30, whatever it is, you don't want to be getting it at the age of 18. And married couples are protecting each other. So if one dies, the other is protected and the kids are protected. It's important really for almost everybody to have a will out there. Any idea nationwide what the percentages of people with wills or maybe we go the other way around without wills? I've heard anywhere up to 70% do not have wills. So we are in the midst of a pandemic, and there have been fatalities uh, directly related to COVID-19. How important is it to have a will at a time like this? Well, it's extremely important because if you do not have a will, the law of Ontario writes it for you. And it doesn't leave any money to your best friend, to your favorite charity, to the child that's your caregiver who, compared to the child that isn't. Uh, and the bottom line is if you die without a will, your spouse gets the first $200,000, and then splits the rest with your kids. If you have two kids, your spouse gets one-third, they get two-thirds, which isn't always very pleasant for the sp- surviving spouse. Uh, if, you, uh, have, if you die without a will, money goes to your kids at the age of 18. 
no matter how irresponsible they are. There's no provision in your, uh, there's no provision to protect your kids in case they get divorced. So son-in-laws and daughter-in-laws can be rubbing their hands together, uh, saying, wow, you know, if I divorce this child, my, my, my husband, uh, he inherited millions of dollars. We made lots of money from it. I'm going to take half the money made from that, in, from that growth on that inheritance. So that a will that can happen. Can you walk us through then what is important that is included in a will? And would that also include power of attorney? Well, within a will, you're going to appoint what is referred to as your executor. Your executor is the person that becomes your personal representative after your death. That can be your spouse. That can be your adult child. It can be your brother. It can be anyone you choose who you trust. Also, in, in a will, if you have children under the age of 18, you're going to be appointing a guardian. Otherwise, there could be a custody battle for your child between your husband's or your husband or wife's side and your side. You don't want that to happen. Also, in a will, we set out who your beneficiaries are. You're sending them out, not the law. If you have a child that you favor, you can. Fa- if you have a child that is helping you and want, you want more to that child, you can do that in the will. Also in a will, you're going to put a clause in that protects your child's inheritance so that your son-in-law, daughter-in-law can't benefit like I talked before about. So there's many things that go into a will, and we can also set up a trust. So if you don't think your kids are mature at 18, you can set up a trust, for example, to the age of 25 or 30, managed by your brother or sister or whoever, or parents, to look after your child's money until they're more mature. Life is full of twists and turns. For instance, a person who has put together a will may have a son and daughter-in-law, but they go through a divorce, uh, or they're in the midst of it when the will is read, uh, how do you protect what your assets are and also your child? Well, in every will that I do, I put a clause called the family law clause, which protects the money made from that inheritance. So let's say you leave your son a million dollars, and that million dollars over five, seven, ten years becomes a million and a half dollars. You, under the law, the million is protected, but not the half million money made from that inheritance, not the dividends, the growth. We put a clause in to protect, a will's lawyer will put a clause in to protect that growth on that inheritance so your daughter-in-law or son-in-law can't benefit from the growth on that inheritance if they divorce or separate from your child. So let me ask you this. Why can't I, I mean, let's just talk hypothetically, why can't I just take a piece of paper and write down my name, who the executor would be of my will, and handwrite what it is that I have and where it should go and sign it and date it. Why can't I do that? Well, under Ontario law, it is legal to make your own what is called holograph will, which is signed by you, dated in your own handwriting. But like anything else, like, for example, root canals are legal in Ontario as well. You can do them yourself. I've never done my own root canal. I've never fixed my own car because I don't want to get stuck on the highway with the wrong, when, I, when I hooked up the wrong battery to the car. So the fact is a wills lawyer will help you do it right and do it and tailor-make it to your situation. Every will should, is tailor-made to an individual situation. Your neighbor's will is not going to be the same as yours. He may have a child. You may have no children. You, have my, you may have five kids. He may be a second marriage. Uh, he may have a company. You don't. So the fact is, is that there are many things that go into a will and the, and the variables, you have to be careful. For example, people write their own homemade wills, and I've seen words like this. Uh, what, you know, I leave my antiques to my son. What is an antique? I have no idea. What I do in my practice is I do free will review. So I review people's wills for free to see if they're up to date and if they're a possible recipe for a family war. I also do a free will consultation. If you don't have a will, I'll be happy to sit and talk with you about what you, what you need to think about in your will. You bring up a very important point, family fights, family feuds. So a holograph will versus an ironclad will uh, that has been lawyered, if you will, 
is there are there leaks in and cracks in a holograph will versus that which has been put together by a lawyer? I've seen in the wills that I've reviewed so many of the holograph or homemade wills or wills done online. I've seen so many errors. First of all, many of the many of the wills I've reviewed online aren't even based on Ontario law. People have brought in wills to me that are using law from the states or from other provinces. Every province has their own laws. Uh, and there are things that they're missing. They don't have backups. For example, I, we mentioned the executor. Put a backup. What about if your child's not alive? Who's going to inherit that money? Uh, all these issues that you need to consider, a wills lawyer will help you do that and to consider, look at your particular situation under a microscope and say what you, you should consider in that particular situation. And also how your assets that you hold interact with your will. Who's the beneficiary of your life insurance? Who's your beneficiary of your RSP? Are your assets joint? Is your house in joint tenancy or tenancy in common? It makes a very big difference difference with your uh, with whoever you're holding your house with one gets it automatically if it's joint tenants and it's not automatic if it's not joint tenants the other point is is that we can talk about how to avoid probate to minimize tax when you pass away so these are things you may not think about when you're doing your own documents and let me ask you this i've heard of something called virtual signing i mean everything through covid 19 is virtual uh what do you think of virtual signing and what is that when it comes to a will well, the law has now allowed during this pandemic virtual signings, but I'm not going to be doing them. Um, I'm only going to, right now, I'm keeping a list of people who are going to come to see me because they have a lot, lot of people that want to see me personally. But virtual signing is allowed where you can actually, on the computer, uh, have the will witnessed by yourself, a lawyer, and somebody else. But it requires a lot of effort. In other words, the, then your will has to be sent back to the lawyer, and you have to witness it again with the lawyer signing it and the other person and you, and then have to send it to the other person because every will requires two witnesses. You're going to need three virtual, basically three virtual signings of that will. Uh, and I'm, I'm concerned about the fact that, uh, you know, I don't know when I'm talking to the person on the phone or the Internet whether their son or daughter is in the background, you know, holding up a sign saying, Mom, if you don't sign this will the way it is, I'm not going to ever talk to you again. So I'm very concerned about the fact that there could be undue influence of, mm -hmm. of mom sitting there at home. And, and is mom capable of, or dad dealing with this whole issue of technology. I'm not, so I don't know if, you know, at my age, I'm not really a high-tech guy. Uh, so a lot of seniors aren't really feeling comfortable about doing it. And also, I've heard from some people saying they're concerned about who's listening in on them uh, or being hacked on uh, their when their private information is being talked about privately. So I'm not really, you know, going to be doing these. Some lawyers will do them, but I'm not going to be doing them. So, Les, if I don't have a will right now, we're smack in the middle of COVID-19, am I able to get one? Well, you, if, as I say, you can find if any lawyer will do a virtual signing, if you're comfortable with that. Uh, certainly there are lawyers that are doing that. Uh, you can uh, do your own if you want temporarily, uh, your holograph or, or online if you want. I'm happy to review it once it's all over, and we can, you can come into my office and I can review what you have to see if it's a, if it's a good document. There's no cost for me to review it for you. Uh, and uh, But I'm just... You know, right now, unfortunately, I'm not going to be doing the virtual, as I mentioned, and a lot of people are just calling me saying, Les, I'm going to wait. I want, I want it done right. I'm going to wait, and uh, I'll see you when this is over. Hopefully, it won't be too long. And what you are doing is offering great information on the feed here on 105.9 The Region. A quick word about power of attorney. What exactly is it, and how powerful is it? Well, a power, there's two power of attorneys in Ontario, and they're really two of the most important documents you're ever going to sign the rest of your life. A will and kicks in when you pass away. So a will doesn't give your executor the right to sign your name if you're sick or deal with medical issues if you're sick. A will only takes effect on your death and your executor only starts when you die. 
Now, the power of attorney is what protects you while you're alive. So you can appoint somebody you trust, your spouse, your adult child, your brother, whoever, your friend, to make financial decisions for you for the, as a financial power of attorney. So if your stock has to be sold and you're, in, and you're incapable, who's going to sell your stock? Who's going to deal with banks and, and deal with real estate and deal with your investments? That's your financial power of attorney. Extremely important. And a power of attorney does not mean you appoint your lawyer. It means you appoint somebody like your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, your, co- your child. Your, your attorney is that person, not your lawyer. The other power of attorney is a medical power, and they should not be done on the same document. Your medical power of attorney deals with who's going to make decisions if you have to go to a hospital. Do you want all of your kids together? Do you want either of your kids? Do you want none of your kids? Do you want your spouse and your son? Who do you want to make medical decisions for you? That is extremely important. And on that medical power of attorney, you can talk about Do you want to be kept alive on machines and tubes if there's no hope? That is called a living will. So those two documents plus the will are three of the most important documents you will sign the rest of your life, believe me. Very, very tough discussion to have and to listen to, but it is necessary. Les, where can we get more information from you? Well, there are two websites I have. One is called willappointment.com, willappointment.com. And the other, if you want to watch a seminar that I have, it's free, uh, at lescotzer.com, L-E-S-K-O-T-Z-E-R. That's L-E-S-K-O-T-Z-E-R.com. Uh, and I'm with Fish and Associates. If you can't find me, go to Fish and Associates. But on my website, there's a seminar about wills, powers of attorney, the things you need to know that often people don't, don't realize how important they are. And I'm, it's on my website. Les Kotzer, Will's lawyer, thank you for joining us on the feed. My pleasure. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. If COVID-19 has left you financially strapped, there is help for you. Afua Ba with that story. COVID-19 has, without a doubt, impacted our finances. Some may be worried how to maintain financial stability, especially during these uncertain times. So to offer some sound advice and tips, joining me to chat today is personal finance journalist Rubina Ahmed-Hawk. Rubina, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It is our pleasure. Now, I mean, as I mentioned, finances is probably on the top of mind of most, if not all Canadians, and they're probably looking at their finances, and some may be overwhelmed. What do they look at first? What do they tackle first? Well, it really depends on what situation you're in. If you've lost your job uh, recently and are now depending on government benefits to get you through the next couple of months, then you're going to look at your finances much differently than somebody who still has their job but is now working from home but getting the same salary. So the first case that I mentioned, if you've lost your job and you're now just depending on those government benefits, the first thing you have to do is see whether that money is actually going to cover all of your costs. So, you know, the CERB, for example, is $2,000 a month. That may not be enough for you to cover all your costs for the month. And so when you take a look at your all your finances, if you think, okay, I can't make rent, I can't make my mortgage, I can't pay my auto insurance, then you can start to tackle them one by one. So you could defer your mortgage, you can definitely take your car off of insurance if you are at home and you're not using your car, they're allowing you to do that temporarily. Um, and you can you can call your utility companies and if you're a, if you're a renter, you can call your landlord to see if they would allow you to pay your rent or your utility costs in a delayed way. So maybe 60 days or 90 days from now, 
or maybe you make partial payments and owe them the rest. If you're working full time and you're worried about your money, or maybe you're worried because you you think you may lose your job because the company's already sending you signals that you know they're kind of their their top their times are getting topped as well. Um, you want to start cutting back on all the extras. I mean, there's not much you can do these days, anyways. You definitely don't want to be doing too much online shopping. You don't want to be uh, buying too much takeout meals. I mean, these are the things that you can still spend money on, even though we're not going out. Heard uh, an option that has been floating around in terms of people looking into their RRSPs in terms of maybe taking out a bit from that. Now, I know that there will be penalties, but uh, should that even be considered an option at this time? So if you ask me six weeks from now, if anyone should ever take money out in an emergency out of their RRSP, I would say absolutely not because it is really expensive. It derails your retirement savings plan. It's not good really in any way. And also the contribution that you made in the beginning, that's you can no longer make that again. So if you created a $1,000 contribution room and then you made that $1,000 RRSP contribution, it's not like the TFSA when you take money out that you create contribution room, you've lost that forever. You can never put that money back. But now we are in such a specific situation and an emergency situation that many of us are really in survival mode. And this really isn't about, you know, how can you go out there and get an extra job or how can you cut back on your day-to-day spending? It's really about how can I survive from today until tomorrow and the next day until this pandemic is over and things get back to somewhat normal and I can go out there and find a job again or get my old job back. But if you had to take money out of your RRSP, you want to look at what's that going to cost you in um, early withdrawal penalties. You also have to look at how it's going to impact your income tax. And also you want to look at those investments. I mean, if those investments are down considerably from the last six weeks because of what's been happening on the market, you want to look at which investments right now are actually worth selling because you don't want to sell something that maybe might have some upside in a year's time or 18 months time and then think I should just hang on to it. Uh, So look at all those things before you take money out of your RRSP. But for some, that may be their only option and that might mean surviving. But if you can do anything else but that, I would would recommend you do it. I know that you mentioned uh, in one of the uh, options earlier in terms of mortgage deferrals. So some have been, you know, for it. Some have been against it. What would you recommend? So deferring your mortgage, what it really does is that it frees up cash. And so if you've got a cash flow problem, meaning you need money to go buy everyday things like groceries and essentials and maybe a little bit of cost for your transportation if you're still driving to places that you need to go get these things, then that's going to that's going to help. The average mortgage in Canada is $1,800 a month. So you can imagine having $1,800 on average back into your bank account, that's going to mean you know a lot of money that you can now spend on other things. It is expensive. You, you want to go into it with your eyes wide open. You want to ask the bank, what is this going to cost? me in in interest charges. So taking that same $1,800 example, um, that mortgage will cost you close to $1,300 based on 20 years left on the mortgage, about a 3% interest rate. Um, That that same mortgage will cost you about $1,300 a month extra in interest payments, plus that money that you still have to pay off. It is thousands of dollars when you decide that you're going to defer your mortgage uh, even a couple of months depending on how big your mortgage is. I mean, most of us who are deferring our mortgages have quite big mortgages and quite big mortgage payments, and that's why we're doing it. 
uh, so that we can get some of that money back in our in our pocket. Um, but that is a very expensive thing to do. But you have to ask yourself, am I okay paying this extra interest so that I have the, the luxury of having this extra cash now? And I'm, am I okay with being in debt months longer because it's going to take you longer now to pay that mortgage off if you stay on the same payment schedule? What about maybe those who might be getting more money than they usually would um, if, if they were in their regular jobs? So if they're getting extra money, um, especially during this COVID-19 time, what should they do with it? Should they just sort of hide it underneath their bed like old times? Should they invest in it? Should they put it in a TSA, their TFSA, RRSP? Uh, what do they do with that extra cash flow? So, yeah, a lot of people are in this situation. I mean, millions of Canadians are out of work, but millions of Canadians are still working. And many of those Canadians are working from home. They're doing work from home, and so they're saving money on their commute. I mean, even from my own family's perspective, we're saving about $400 a month on our public transit costs because we're not spending money on the train and getting into work every day, and that's saving us as a family that much money. So rather than taking that money and buying something, you know, consumable, like maybe takeout meals or buying something, you know, to to have ordered online for our kids, we should take that money and put it onto our mortgage or put it onto debt. Or if we don't have any of that, put it into a high interest savings account because the chances are many people who are working today may be out of work in the next couple of months if COVID-19 continues and the economy remains shut down. Many companies may still be laying people off in the future. So prepare for that. If you've got the extra money and you're lucky enough to still be working um, but you're, you're, you're able to be frugal because you're working from home. Uh, try, if you have that extra cash, to put it away into a high interest savings account or pay down debt because that's going to help you in the future if you lose your job that you won't have a higher debt load to carry. I <laughs> wanted to pivot a little bit and talk about um, maybe a, a group that might not be highlighted as much, especially during this time, but they're definitely feeling the impact, uh, millennials uh, and students. And so they've gone through two crises, if you will, uh, the first one in 2009 uh, and then now with uh, COVID-19. So students now facing no job prospects basically during the summer if this doesn't sort of wrap up quickly what do they do? Do they now resort to credit cards? Should they? I definitely would not recommend that they start spending on their credit card. I mean, the best advice is continue to live like a student. You know, if you're in your, if you're back at home at your parents' house, try to take advantage of all of those things as much as possible. There's not much, you know, for anybody really to go anywhere. So, you know, any money that you might be spending, um, you wouldn't, you don't really have the opportunity to, but you can still do a lot of damage by buying, you know, things online and maybe um, buying things for your family. Try to try to not do that, um, and then see if there are any online jobs that you could do. Some jobs that you could do um, that are safe that you could do from home um, that are available to students on a temporary basis. I mean, right now there are there is a lot of need for um, for jobs where you are on the phone a lot, customer service type jobs. So you know, check out the job websites and see if there is something available. Maybe it won't get you the kind of, of kind of money that you thought you would be getting in the summer, but at least it will be a little bit of money. Um, that you could get over the summer. Um, you know, I recently did a story where uh, I spoke to Monster.ca, uh, one of the VPs there, and she was saying that insurance companies are looking for a lot of people. So there may be something in there. If you're a student that's in finance, maybe there's a job there that you could do from home, um, helping somebody um, who sells insurance, or in, in some way you could help them, you could get a job in that industry that you could do from home safely. I couldn't have said it better myself. And then finally, uh, your personal finance advice, um, if you could give one or two sort of words of encouragement or uh, wisdom to listeners out there, I mean, looking at their finances, what would you tell them? As much as you possibly can, try to pay down your debt. 
uh, because as we move forward and we get into a deep recession, debt is one thing that is going to hurt you more than anything. Um, and it, because what happens is, is that if you lose your job, your debt obligations get harder to pay, and then other things start to happen from that. You you go into arrears on your debt. There's penalties. There's fees. Those debts start to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So if you have any extra money right now, start to pay your debt down. And for 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 no reason get into any debt right now. This is not a time to increase your liability. It's a time to decrease your liability. All right, perfect. Rubina ahmed Hawk, a personal finance uh, journalist, and of course just giving us the sound advice that we need to weather this uh, e- economic crisis during COVID-19. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. I'm Ann Romer. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Because of COVID-19, the deadline to file your income tax this year is now June the 1st. But if you still have questions about what to claim, Jim Lang is next with details about how you can access a tax expert from home. As we deal with our COVID-19 situation, we also have to deal with the reality of money and taxes and all that. Of course, then uh, the tax deadline is not the usual April 30th. It's been moved, but we do have a lot of questions that need answered. To talk more about it, I'm thrilled to be speaking to one of the tax experts at H&R Block, Michael Davis. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, a pleasure. Um, before we get to how you can file your taxes from home to one of the H&R Block experts, I, I, a lot of people are asking us, since they're doing all their work from home now, are they allowed to claim a portion of their rent or mortgage on their tax return this year? The tax return this year? No, they're not. If they're now doing the work from home with the recent changes, uh, you know, dealing with COVID-19, all of that rent in that home portion of their home office, that's going to be claimed on next year's taxes. The taxes right now we're working on this year are still 2019 and based off of last year. But for this year, for people making, they should track how many days they had to work from home and things like that, I would think, so they're ready for next year. Exactly. So this is the prep work for next year for taxes, you know, the tax season that we'll deal with the, the 2020 returns. Keep a good track of how many days you spent working out of your home office, the size of your home office, what supplies you use during then, what your utilities. You're going to have to keep track of all of this to benefit next year. And, and Mike, because for a lot of people, this is a whole new thing for them because they're so used to going to the office and not working from home. They need to be reminded to keep track of this so everything's in order for next year. Correct. Yes, they're going to, um, they can always visit one of our offices or phone in to talk to one of our tax pros and they could give a good list of items to keep track of. You know, keep track of your heating and utility costs, your insurance costs, um, rent or your mortgage interest. Keep track of any repairs or maintenance you've had to do to make your house suitable for you to be working out of a home office. And then your supplies as well. You know, if you're, if you had to pick up a computer, printer, paper, ink, pens, um, all those supplies are going to be yeah, categorized differently and there's different uh, rules for each one of them. But just keep track, you know, put all your receipts away and bring them into one of our tax experts next year and we'll get you, uh, we'll get you started. For this year, what I think is fantastic, Michael, is HR Block is doing virtual tax returns where you can speak to and get connected with an H&R Block tax expert for the convenience of your own home. And that takes a lot of the stress away from a lot of people listening right now. Yes, it does. You know, we've, uh, you know, it's been precedenting times right now. We've made some changes. We are now, uh, we've always been one to allow clients to file their way, but we've opened that up and now. So we have an upload from home. Clients can go to our website, hrblock.ca. 
They can choose Upload from Home. Um, they'll sign into our website and be able to upload all their documents, all the same stuff that they would bring to us in an in-person visit. They can upload there. The tax pro pulls it off of the secure portal on our end. We bring it up. We phone them. We do the same tax interviews. They get the exact same great service that they would have at an in-person visit. But, you know, they're doing this from the comfort of their home while we're doing it from uh, the safety and comfort of our offices. And because the deadline's been extended because of what we're dealing with, Michael, I would think that takes a lot of the pressure away from people having to scramble to get it all done by the end of April, and they can sort of relax and take their time and get it done right. It does. You know, pushing the deadline does open up the amount of time um, that you can prepare for things, the amount of time you have to gathering your documents and, and doing it. So there isn't uh, there isn't as much of a rush at this part of the year as there usually would be for April 20th. However, um, still the importance of getting it getting it done to make sure making sure that your credits are still going to roll smoothly in the uh, in the summer so we do you know recommend you visit one of our offices or hop onto our secure portal and upload your stuff from home and we'll look at getting these done for you you don't have to put it off to the end of the year but we do have time to make sure that we do it correctly hnrblock.ca you can do all your taxes from home deal directly with an hnr block tax expert without the stress of thinking well what if i expose myself you don't have to expose anyone the expert is safe and you're safe by doing it with them uh, michael from your standpoint how much has your job and your life changed over the last month or so what usually is you have an office full of people coming in on a regular basis to get their taxes done yeah, so you know, we, usually you're right. At this, especially this time of year, we have a lineup sometimes trying to get people in and out of here. Um, however, we've wanted to make the changes for families. You know, our clients are well-being of our top or top of our mind for COVID-19, the pandemic across the country. We do have over 1,100 offices, and we're present in nearly every community in Canada. But we have a responsibility to do what's right for many people, and many people are counting on us. Uh, when we prepare taxes for Canadians, we're helping our friends, neighbors, families. You know, many people are facing financial hardships and getting their tax refund or maintaining their access to much-needed government benefits is essential to their continued economic well-being. You know, and I'm grateful for this new portal you guys have developed in this new system because my parents are in a retirement home in Nova Scotia, and the fact that they don't have the stress of having to go out because they can't go out, and now they can get their taxes done by one of the experts they work with every year, that's a, that's a big relief, I know, for my parents. It was, and we tried to, we wanted to implement the change. It took, uh, you know, before now, we weren't able to get electronic signatures on the tax return. So the CRA actually had put it put it in that we can get an electronic signature. So now with the upload from home, you know, you're bringing us all your information electronically, virtually over the Internet, and we can send the return back to you and get the electronic signatures. So really we've erased any visits into the office. Are you going to see this as a trend even after, you know, fingers crossed this all goes away and we get back to normal, that going forward maybe like half the people will do it remotely from home and half will go into the office? Well, if they will... Um you know, if they'll keep that law in there that we're allowed to do the electronic signatures, I'm sure, you know, opening up the way that people can bring us their information and the way that we can transact with every one of our clients, we've always been striving to do that. There are just certain limitations before that we, you know, that we were bound within. Hopefully this opens it up so uh, more people can file with us or can file with us comfortably um, in any any way that they would like. Any good tip for people saying, I'm going to go to hnrblock.ca, go to the portal, start doing it. What are the ones one thing they've really got to, have to make sure they don't forget when they start putting all their information to do the taxes with one of the H&R Block experts. 
just just try to be ready. You know, try and gather your stuff, get yourself into a you know a clear space, and put aside the time that it takes to do this. It is a very simple process. It can move seamlessly, whether or not they're on their laptop or computer, if they're on a tablet or if they're on their mobile device. We can upload from all three of them. So it is, you know, the process is is very simple and safe for them. But just make sure that you have the time to uh, time to be able to do that. So just take a day to get everything organized one day, go to hnrblocks.ca the next day, and then you should be all set. Yes, and if you know there are clients out there that want to try it on their own and they'd want to uh, see if they can do the return, then our website will lead you to either uploading from home where we can take care of it, or for people that want to try it themselves, we do have our do-it-yourself software online. You'll get the same tax interview that we give in the office, so you can make sure that you know go through the checklist and make sure you're not leaving anything out, and you can try it yourself as well with the do with your uh, with our do-it-yourself software. Michael Davis from HR Block, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. You really informed all of us and myself on how to do our taxes properly with HR Block. All the best and stay safe. Next on the feed, an update from York Regional Police about changes in crime. Here's Constable Laura Nicole. Earlier this week, York Regional Police provided a bit of a summary regarding the changes in crime in York Region. Constable Nicole, can you provide a bit of a breakdown of those numbers for us? Yeah, well, we've certainly seen uh, some pretty significant changes to the ways we're all living our lives right now as a result of COVID-19. Um, and the crime statistics that we're looking at have sort of uh, adjusted as a result. Um, on, on the positive end, we've had a, a decrease of about 18% in sort of overall crime, and that's kind of everything from, you know, criminal code violations to some of the traffic stuff over the last five weeks compared to the same time period in 2019. Some of the biggest areas that we've seen decrease are things like traffic violations, uh, impaired driving, and uh, weapons offenses. Unfortunately, we have seen pretty large increases in certain, you know, very specific types of crime that are all kind of related to, to what's going on. So one of the big ones is big increase, a 64% increase in stunt driving offenses, uh, 28% increase in thefts of vehicles, and a 22% increase in domestic violence incidents. Now, you said, absolutely, this is good news. There was a decrease in the overall crime rate. But let's get back to some of those numbers where the they did increase. So stunt driving and thefts of vehicles. Well, with stunt driving specifically, what uh, I think you can see is that, you know, the roads are a lot quieter. We don't have people driving to schools. We don't have people driving to work as often. Um, the roads in general are, are kind of looking a little bit empty. And I think, unfortunately, that has tapped into a little bit of the temptation for people to exceed the speed limit by quite a bit. But I think, you know, people have to remember that those that are out on the road, you know, those might be our, our doctors and nurses and, and, you know, people people driving to work to work at the grocery stores to ensure that we all have food. Um, we have to make sure that the roads are safe for everybody who needs to be out on the road and uh, this is not the time to say oh it's an empty road I can go as fast as I want we absolutely will be enforcing that and anybody that's caught driving in a dangerous way or exceeding the speed limit by more than 50 kilometers per hour uh, they can expect to have the vehicle towed and uh, their license suspended. Now in terms of the thefts of vehicles they're up by 28 percent doesn't that seem a bit unusual considering there are likely more people working from home these days? 
Um, that's true, but uh, I think, you know, for, for many of us, uh, our vehicles are not getting as much use as they might have been, and, and we're, we've been leaving them sort of just sitting out in the, in the driveway. It, it, we do often see an increase of these offenses uh, in the spring anyways because there's more people sort of out and about aside from the warm-up thefts. Um, but, you know, in, in these situations, I think it's been, been that piece where people have their vehicles parked, they're not driving them, and they're kind of in the house not not really paying attention. There are less people out and about on the streets, in the driveways, uh, driving by, so there's a little bit less um, potential for people to, to be paying attention to it. Um, but on the bright side to that theft piece, we actually, I just got news uh, very recently that um, we have made an arrest in connection with thefts of vehicles. Um, so I am hoping that we're going to see uh, see that number um, start to balance out a little bit. If, if these individuals have been responsible for quite a few, then uh, we should see some of that resolved. Now, let's circle back then to stunt driving, up 64%. Mm-hmm. What kinds of fines and mm-hmm. penalties are drivers facing in those situations? Um, well, like I said, it, it's a very serious offense, and it does allow for right at the side of the road um, the, the driver to have their license suspended and their vehicle towed. So it's a very, very significant issue. And when, when we say stunt driving, for, for the most part what we're talking about, it, stunt driving does include a couple of offenses, so one of them being, you know, trying to make a left turn at a light and trying to beat the other cars coming towards you. Um, that's a lot less common, but the, the main one that we're seeing is the 50 kilometers over the posted limit. Um, so you're talking about really high speeds. Um, um, you know, if you've got a 40 kilometer an hour zone and somebody's going, you know, 90, thinking, well, we don't have schools in session right now, that's fine. Um, no, it's a, it's a very serious issue. It's a very significant uh, crime that's putting putting people at risk. Um, and uh, again, so there will be issued issued a provincial offense notice for that. Um, and obviously, uh, again, facing the fact that the vehicle is going to be taken and, and the license is going to be suspended. So that, that should be a huge deterrent for people um, and a reminder, again, that we're, we're out policing those, our streets and, and watching for specifically those types of things. Uh, and we will be stopping those vehicles and laying those charges. Now, the other area that saw an increase was in the domestic incidents. What can you tell us about that? Mm-hmm. Um, well, we, we often see an increase in domestic uh, calls when we have periods of time where people are home. So often around the Christmas holidays, we see an increase in domestic incidents because more people are home. Um, oftentimes, there's some of those added stressors. Um, certainly right now, people have are under a lot more stress than maybe people have you know, lost, lost their job or are dealing with some financial concerns. Um, we've now got kids in the home instead of at school. Uh, so there's definitely added stressors on families that could result in uh, some of these increases. And when we say domestic incidents, we're actually talking about a very wide range of, of scenarios. Um, we're certainly talking about domestic violence, but we're also talking about just verbal arguments. It could even be verbal arguments between um, parents and children, uh, and it may not even necessarily all be from people calling themselves. It could be a case of, you know, a neighbor calling, saying, I hear yelling next door. I don't know what's going on. I just think police should check. Um, a, a really wide range of types of situations. And uh, But, I mean, we, we continue to respond to these calls as very high priorities, um, especially if there is violence involved. We would strongly encourage people to, to contact police immediately. Now, just before we let you go, do you have one last reminder or message for our listeners? 
Um, well, I do want to jump uh, over into uh, some of the calls we've been responding to under the Emergency Management and Civil Protection Act. Um, we've been taking a significant number of calls from our community about that specifically, uh, more than 1,400 uh, calls uh, so far. Um, and so, you know, if, if you do have concerns, certainly you can call us and report the incident. Um, not everything is a crime. Uh, there are specific things that are offenses under that act, but uh, we will still investigate and provide a little bit of education. Um, certainly the recommendations should still be followed, um, but we have also laid a few charges under the Act as well for those elements that are specifically considered an offence. Um, so uh, we will continue to do that and, and do what we need to do to keep our community safe as we uh, navigate this um, you know, very unique uh, situation. Indeed. Constable Laura Nicole from York Regional Police, thank you for joining us on the feed. Well, thank you for having me. For the very latest developments on COVID-19 and the exclusive updates from York Region's Medical Officer of Health, go to 1059theregion.com. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.